Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Okay, Gabby, I have a surprise question for you right off the top here. Have you seen that Nicolas Cage, Angelina Jolie movie, Gone in 60 Seconds? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. I mean, it's been years since I've seen it, granted, but I do remember it like, you know, along the same vein as those Fast and the Furious movies. Like, it's just one of those like entertaining action movies. And we should say a movie about stealing cars very quickly. Yeah. Okay. So Uh, with that in mind. Don't know where this is going. Do you think they could make a movie called Gone in 60 Days? And it would be about the New Mexico legislative session lasting 60 (laughs) days. Uh, But could that story maybe have that Jerry Bruckheimer energy, you know, producer of Armageddon and The Rock? Yeah, but who would be Angelina Jolie? Would it be the governor? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) This is too early to assign roles. But anyway, (laughs) a couple months ago, we talked about the session. And remember I said return of the thwack when the speaker hits the gavel, calling all those New Mexico lawmakers back into session So that 60-day session, it has been over now for about a month, and we wanted to wait to recap what happened until that time where the governor had that deadline to sign off or veto all of the bills that were sent her way. Yeah, so what big new laws passed? Which ones never made it out of committee? Did a bunch of crime bills make it through, or was this another session full of promise and short on action? And what happened with the promise of free money? I mean, tax rebates. We're going to answer all those questions for you and more this week. Back with us again is KRQE News 13's prolific data reporter and our legislative reporter slash expert, Curtis Segarra. Curtis, welcome back. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure, um, especially to talk about politics here in New Mexico. You know, they can get uh, heated. They can get interesting or they can be a little slow at times, but we're here to talk about it. Yeah, you seem to be pretty dang busy, it felt like, this session. So I wanted to ask you right off the top, how busy was this session? I think it feels like every session is incredibly busy at the beginning and at the end. There's usually a slow period in the middle. This session, I would say, was... Not the craziest. If you remember last year, there was um, kind of a lot of debate right down to the wire, right down to the deadline. We saw a little bit of that this year, uh, but not quite as intense. I think just the political makeup of the legislature, it was uh, very split on partisan lines. Of course, the Democrats had the majority in both House, uh, House and Senate. So a lot of bills, you know, received debate, but it was pretty clear that the Democrats were going to win out if they put their weight behind a bill. You also put together an analysis, right, of all of the bills this session, comparing them to sessions all the way back to 2013. What did you find statistically? This year, we saw that the numbers played out similar to previous years. I mean, you have close to a thousand bills introduced every year. About 200 were passed this year, which is about average for the last few years of a 60-day session, right? Shorter sessions are not going to have that many. 
Of course, not all of those、uh, get signed into law usually. It's crunch time for Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. We work,、uh, my team, until two or three or four in the morning, and starting today, they're nearly 24 hour reviews until noon on Friday. That's the deadline for bills from this last session to be signed into law. So let's recap a bit from the start of the session. The governor gave the traditional state of the state speech, this being her fifth year in office and fifth address. I'm laying out priorities that will double down on the progress we have made, that will provide more help to our communities, and that will unleash the spirit of opportunity and innovation that is our straight state's greatest asset. The speech was nearly an hour long. The governor outlined a slew of her budget priorities, but very clearly starting with one of the most watched topics at the beginning of her list that is tax rebates. The governor asked for $750 rebates to go to single tax filers and $1,500 to go to all the joint filers. To help more New Mexicans afford the things they need right now. Right now. So the question for Curtis is: Did lawmakers fulfill the governor's request this year? The governor's proposal was pretty large at the outset, but lawmakers cut that down to rebates of three hundred dollars for single filers, six hundred for joint filers. So a lot smaller than the governor had anticipated or, or had asked for. Ultimately, kind of very near the end of the session, lawmakers brought back. Larger rebates of five hundred dollars for single filers, one thousand for joint filers, in a massive kind of tax package.、Um, so ultimately, lawmakers did bring back rebates this year. We should also say that the governor expressed on Wednesday, the Wednesday before the signature deadline, that she did have some reservations towards signing off on those rebates, and that's all because they are mixed in with this tax reform bill. That will be by far. The biggest tax package without any recurring revenues coming in, by far in the history of the state, and I don't know that it's sustainable. I just don't. So I'm I'm hand wringing about that. I'd like us to do prudent work. A very complicated bill.、Uh, seems like there was a lot of debate to the last minute on this, but it eventually did pass both the House and the Senate. And again, sent up to the governor for her approval. Now, after waffling on this tax bill for some time, the governor did end up signing it on the day of the sign or veto deadline. So this is that big omnibus tax bill. It also had a lot of line item vetoes in it. What survived the tax bill included the five hundred and one thousand dollar rebates for single and joint tax filers, respectively. Film tax credits also survived, as did an expansion of the child tax credit. But a lot of stuff got eliminated, like I said, and that includes income tax bracket changes, gross receipts tax cuts, an alcohol tax increase, and also electric car and other environmental tax credits. We'll get into a little bit more of the reaction to those vetoes in just a bit. Can you give us a bit of background on this bill? This was House Bill five four seven. Throughout the session, lawmakers brought together a few ideas of changing tax rebates,、um, tax credits, changing maybe even the structure of income tax or corporate income tax here in New Mexico. These were individual bills floating around for a while. So ultimately, kind of near the end of the session, they brought all of those bills together into one big omnibus tax package that was pretty long, pretty dense, and. It, Honestly, it was what garnered the most attention near the end of the session. It went through a lot of debate.、Um, 
lawmakers were split on different parts of it, uh, but everyone ultimately agreed that it was you know, a big comprehensive reform package that we haven't seen in years. So I think lawmakers were pretty excited to uh, put that together and get it passed. As you said, the governor is not 100% sure if all of this is necessarily something she approves of. Um, A lot of that is because this package is, you know, probably going to impact about a billion or over a billion dollars worth of the state's bottom line. And we're talking a state that has a budget of about $9.4 billion this year. So, you know, around a tenth of the entire state's budget could be impacted by this bill and the tax cuts from this bill. So that's a lot of money out of the state's pockets. I do remember the governor remarking on this from her Wednesday speech that Chris was talking about just now. And she kind of looked to the lawmakers and said, I'm not sure if the people who voted on this knew it was that large. How many of you knew that it was 1.2 billion? (laughs) I'm going to tell you that a lot of members who voted for it, because it was at the end, had no idea that it was that big. Again, they love the values in the in the statement, but they didn't know it was going to be that big. Let's shift our gone in 60 seconds gears here a mm. little bit okay. and look at some of the other big bills. Crime is another major issue that lawmakers were looking to address. Curtis, can you tell us about House Bill 9? This is the Benny Hargrove Gun Safety Act. Yeah, this is a a bill that got a lot of support, both from the community and a lot of the lawmakers, Um, something the governor kind of stood behind and something that's been in the works for a little while now. It's Benny Hargrove, if you remember, was a student at Washington Middle School who was shot and killed by another student back in 2021. The entire Washington Middle School community is grieving the loss of a 13-year-old student today gunned down by another student on campus during lunch. New tonight, APD Chief Harold Medina says the boy who died is being hailed a hero for standing up for a friend and trying to de-escalate a violent confrontation. So another student brought a gun to this middle school, shot and killed a student. So terrible tragedy. And this developed out of that, um, you know, the the student's family was a part of this and spoke up at the roundhouse in support of this bill. Benny Hargrove's grandmother took to the state capitol to voice her support for House Bill 9. I took my baby to school that morning and he never came home. And that makes no sense that another 13-year-old had a gun. Lock the guns up. That's all we want secure them. That's all we want. So this bill needs to pass so people can be held accountable for what, for being negligent. But basically what it does is it makes it uh, a misdemeanor to negligently allow a firearm to fall into the hands of a child. So it's really aimed at, you know, gun security, locking up guns, keeping them out of the hands of children. If you let a gun fall into the hands of a child and the child ends up killing someone with it, like what happened at this middle school, um, the adult who kind of was in charge of that gun could face a fourth degree felony. So some pretty serious um, penalties here for this. And it was debated, you know, as most gun bills are, um, opposed by a lot of Republicans in the roundhouse who weren't entirely sure that it could be enforced Uh, weren't entirely sure that it was sound in terms of, well, what constitutes negligent storage. The bill itself doesn't have a lot of details into that, so it'll probably be left up to 
law enforcement or to courts to enforce the exact details of how it'll be enforced. But uh, ultimately, it did make it through. Let's talk about one more gun bill that passed. This is House Bill 306. It was a bipartisan bill as well. This one targeting straw purchases. Curtis, what is this? Can you also explain what a straw purchase is for those who don't know? Basically, straw purchases are when someone who can legally purchase a firearm does so and then gives that firearm to someone who cannot legally purchase a firearm. So it's kind of a way of skirting the background check, the legal system, preventing firearms from falling into the hands of people that are legally not supposed to have them. So that's what a straw purchase is. And this bill would make it a fourth degree felony to conduct one of those straw purchases, to purchase a gun for someone who isn't allowed to have one if the purchaser knows that they're not supposed to have a gun. These sorts of purchases and why this law is important uh, is because federal law enforcement have pointed out, have said that here in New Mexico, these sorts of straw purchases could be fueling gun crime. And in fact, you know, a high profile case, Omar Felix Cueva, who shot and killed a New Mexico state police officer, that officer was uh, Darian Jarrett back in 2021. They say that gun was a straw purchase gun purchased by a family member um, and then used to kill a state police officer. So there are a few high profile examples of this happening in the state. Lawmakers were looking to crack down on that. A bill aimed at reforming the justice system for kids who've committed violent crimes and how they're sentenced just passed another legislative hurdle. Another criminal justice bill that's getting attention is Senate Bill 64. This makes changes for juveniles who are convicted of serious crimes and how a potential life sentence would play out. Before this bill came along, uh, New Mexico could sentence serious youthful offenders, so people under 18 but convicted of things like murder, the most serious crimes here in the state, they could convict them to life uh, without parole. And what this bill does is it requires the state to at least offer them the chance to ask for parole. So it does not have to give them parole. Uh, to be very clear, children can still be in jail for their entire lives in New Mexico, um, but they must have the opportunity for a parole hearing where they can plead their case as to why they should perhaps receive parole or be released early uh, under some sort of supervision. Now, when this bill was being debated, um, the state did say that there were not any juveniles with that kind of life sentence currently in New Mexico. But since then, ProPublica actually released an investigation where they found 21 individuals who they say the state has lost track of that are youthful offenders serving life that the state maybe wasn't aware about. So the impact of this bill is obviously very large for those people. A lot of criminals in New Mexico are not going to be impacted by this bill because it is for youthful offenders only and the most serious offenders, but for maybe couple dozen uh, individuals here in New Mexico could have a very big impact, especially because the law would apply retroactively. One more crime bill worth noting targets retail crime, another thing that we've talked about on this podcast and here at KRQE. This is House Bill 234. This passed and was signed by the governor on Thursday. Curtis, tell us, what does this bill do? Yeah, the bill is aimed at really, like you said, cracking down on organized retail crime, which is, you know, not just simple shoplifting. It's something a little more nefarious, perhaps, um, you know, where, where folks go into a store knowing that there is perhaps weak security, 
Maybe they know the laws on the topic are weak, and so they feel pretty confident, pretty comfortable in just walking out with a large amount of merchandise and then repeating that process multiple times. So what this bill does, what this new law does, it allows law enforcement and prosecutors to add up the aggregate value of goods stolen over multiple periods into kind of a single charge or a single crime, rather than having to look at each individual theft as its own piece, which when they're individual, we might not be talking about high dollar value items. So it's kind of hard to really throw the the largest book possible at these criminals if we're only talking about, you know, relatively small thefts. But when you add up all the thefts over a period of time by these same individuals, we're looking at a higher dollar value and they're able to throw a larger metaphorically speaking, book at these criminals, uh, perhaps get them charged with a more serious uh, penalty. So I want to take a step back broadly looking at crime. We heard before the session had even started that lawmakers wanted to get tough on crime. It was also, of course, a huge topic in the election and the governor's race. It seems like it's also a perennial topic. Despite all of the unity, though, that you might hear before the session or even this tough talk, it seems that lawmakers ended up getting into this year, this session, a lot of disagreements over how to handle crime once again. So with that said, was this a big year or not for crime bills? Were there a lot that just didn't make it? I personally would not call it a big year for crime bills. Um, We certainly had a few crime bills go through, toughening penalties, looking at specific types of crimes, Um, but we didn't see, you know, a influx, a massive flow of crime bills going through the session. Uh, Part of that was because the bills that they did focus on were fairly partisan in nature. Uh, We looked at a lot of gun bills this year. Uh, We already talked about Benny Hargrove Act, which did make it through, but there were others as well. There was a, you know, assault weapons ban. There was a law about guns near polling places. And these sorts of things are certainly crime bills, um, but they are ones that draw that sort of partisan criticism. And so they didn't quite make it through. And a lot of time was spent debating some of these gun bills rather than addressing other issues. And another big one that didn't go anywhere was the rebuttable presumption bill as well. Should the law make it easier for prosecutors to keep violent offenders behind bars until trial? Yeah, rebuttable presumption came up this year. It could be a tool to kind of look tougher on crime and keep folks under arrest or under supervision or locked up um, rather than on the streets while they're awaiting trial. What it does basically is the New Mexico Constitution allows individuals to, you know, be at home or be free before their criminal trial, before they're proven guilty, um, unless the prosecutor can prove that they are going to be a danger to their community. So what these sort of rebuttable presumption bills would do would kind of flip that and say, you know, given the crimes, given the serious nature of the crimes this person is being accused of, um, actually it's the defense that would have to prove that they are not going to be a danger of the community in order to be released before their trial. One of them was introduced here uh, this legislative session. It was pushed pretty heavily by um, some of the lawmakers, but the other lawmakers really just 
didn't give it much attention. It seemed almost cursory the way they dismissed it. A lot of the discussion was over whether or not this would be uh, legal under the New Mexico Constitution, given that this is sort of a constitutional issue. Uh, other legislators were concerned that it would just invite more lawsuits and just cause more problems rather than fix problems. So yeah, that proposal didn't really go anywhere and it died pretty quickly. After the session was over, I know the leadership and the governor responded to this idea of crime bills and how the legislature did. What did they say? Yeah, the governor overall did seem kind of disappointed in the lack of public safety bills. I introduced and was uh, specifically engaged in 10. Um, and we have about a handful up. And out of 40, it's 10. And not all of those would really constitute what I think are strong public safety measures. She seemed kind of disappointed that not all of the crime bills that could have gone through made it through. Um, but she did like some of the changes the legislature made to health care, um, things like reproductive health protections. She seemed to be pretty proud of the bill to provide free meals for all school children and not just low-income school children, so kind of expanding New Mexico's free lunch program for students. Uh, she seemed proud of voter access expansion and some of the funding for conservation. So it sounds like crime got a lot of discussion, but not a lot of finalization on how to deal with it. I do recall, you know, our former district attorney here in Bernalillo County and now New Mexico Attorney General Raul Torres on this podcast expressing his disappointment, saying he didn't really see any new laws that he felt would significantly impact public safety. And I know that's probably disappointing for more people in this community. We're going to take a quick break, though, and when we return, we know it's getting windy out there and the weather is warming up, which means we could likely be talking a lot about wildfires soon. So we're going to break down some of the wildfire legislation that the governor's signed coming out of his historic wildfire season in New Mexico. Also a look at how lawmakers address the environment, voting rights and a lot of other notable bills. We are back with Curtis Segarra, the man behind so many of KRQE.com's legislative posts. So let's get into the wildfire legislation here, Curtis. Two bills come to mind that the governor has signed. One targets the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire, New Mexico's largest wildfire on record. And a second bill targets controlled burning. Tell us a little bit about those bills. Yeah, so there were a couple bills kind of focused on addressing wildfires, both in terms of addressing the destruction already caused and preventing new destruction from wildfires. You know, one bill that did get through the session fairly easily was one to provide some funding to recover from the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire. Relief loans are now available to communities affected by the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fires. New Mexico's largest wildfire I think all the legislators realized how just tragic it was and really wanted to do something to help out those communities that are still working on recovering and probably will be for years. So it sets aside $100 million for no interest loans to counties and towns. The money is available to repair infrastructure 
that was damaged or lost in the fires or in the floods caused by the burn scars. They put some money towards that. It seemed to go through the process fairly easily because everyone recognized how serious and how much that money was needed. The governor has also signed a bill into law to limit when prescribed burns can happen. The other bill is really aimed at trying to prevent another tragedy like that from happening. You know, that fire really started as a controlled burn that spun out of control. Um, so Senator Ron Griggs introduced a bill to actually prevent prescribed burns during certain times of the year when the wildfire risk might be kind of elevated. So that bill initially was going to prevent prescribed burns basically any time during the spring when that risk is really high. After some debate and discussion, the lawmakers kind of realized that might not be feasible because you might need to do a prescribed burn to actually make things safer. They heard from a lot of the stakeholders around this issue. Ultimately, they kind of simplified the bill. You might say watered it down, depending on who you ask, um, to only prevent uh, prescribed burns during red flag warning. So that's when the National Weather Service says, you know, it's too dangerous, maybe too dry, too windy to burn. So this bill prevents prescribed burns during those red flag warnings, but it's not entirely clear how much impact that will have on the ground. I mean, you know, the folks that do prescribe burns are professionals. They do already take the weather into account. And in fact, the federal report on the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire and its cause showed that there was no red flag warning for that specific area during the time. So this bill, if it had been in place, may not have even stopped that fire. So in practice, it's yet to be seen how impactful it will be. You also have the parallel track of environmental legislation. And there has been a lot of frustration expressed by some lawmakers that not enough is being done on the environment. And I know there were some environment-related bills this session. Can you tell me about those? Did any really track their way through the session? What made it through were a couple key bills that I think will likely have some impact for New Mexico's environment. One of those is a bill to kind of fund conservation long-term. So a lot of New Mexico's agencies, you know, the forestry division, environment division, they do have existing conservation programs. What this bill does will provide a long-term funding stream for those existing programs so that they don't have to kind of scrounge around to try to find funding each year. It provides money in a similar way that we already provide money to things like early child care uh, and education in the state, just kind of an existing pot of money that's recurring. So environmental groups were pretty happy about that. Another bill that would impact New Mexico's environment is one to provide some pushback on the storage of nuclear waste here. So the federal government, of course, does store a lot of nuclear waste, or they call it transuranic nuclear waste, and they store it in underground down near Carlsbad. And there's already tens of thousands of barrels of waste down there, all put in place more or less by the federal government. What this new law does that was signed in by the governor is it requires that the federal government gets the consent of New Mexico before storing more waste, essentially. So it basically tries to give New Mexico a larger say in these federal negotiations over whether or not waste is stored in our state. It's not entirely clear how much impact it will have, because as you know, when 
the state law uh, and federal law kind of are in conflict, the federal law often wins. But it is at least a very clear show um, by lawmakers, by the governor, that we don't always want your waste here and we want to have a say of when and if waste is brought to New Mexico. So another gear shift for us now. After the 2022 election, we also saw a few voting-related bills pass this session. So can you tell us about those? The two biggest are House Bill 4 and Senate Bill 180. Let's start with the New Mexico Voting Rights Act or House Bill 4. What is that? I really think of it as kind of the the bigger bill or the main bill related to this issue um, because it requires things like secure ballot boxes, uh, ballot drop-off boxes in each county. It implements automatic voter registration through the Motor Vehicle Division. A lot of other states do already have this, but basically when a qualified voter goes and conducts a transaction at the MVD, like they renew their driver's license or apply for a driver's license, the MVD system will check and if they are eligible to be a voter, it will automatically register them um, and then they can opt out later if they want to. There was some pushback during debate about this. Folks were concerned that this might violate some people's um, religion or morals or principles that didn't want to be registered, um, but ultimately it did make it through. Another perhaps big change in this law is the restoration of convicted felons for their voting rights. This bill requires that they complete their time in jail in a correctional facility and then can apply. So basically they can apply to get their voting rights back before they complete, say, parole, for example. It also tries to do a little work to clean up the process for applying for the restoration of voting rights, which is a complicated and somewhat bureaucratic process. You know, a range of changes all looking to kind of increase voter access, increase voter registration, and increase voter turnout here in New Mexico. So what's the companion elections bill? That's Senate Bill 180. This one is more on the administrative side of things. So it's really going to be impacting the Secretary of State, the governmental groups that are running the elections. Um, It changes a few things such as it allows the elected officials' addresses to remain confidential. Uh, Why that's important is if you remember, there was recently a string of shootings at elected officials' houses here in Albuquerque. Session lawmakers can rest a little easier knowing the man suspected of shooting up the homes of elected leaders is behind bars. And it turns out he is a failed candidate himself who police say refused to accept the results of the election. Former GOP candidate Solomon Pena was arrested tonight for what police are calling a politically motivated conspiracy involving at least five people. So there was definitely some concern about official safety. So that was rolled into the bill. Another thing the bill does is it kind of clarifies what should happen if two candidates for an office have the same name. Uh, It's something that doesn't happen much. But if it does happen, we now know what we should do, which is basically include their date of birth so we can tell them apart. So we should also note a few of the really big bills that we didn't categorize yet. I'm thinking about Senate Bill 4, the universal free school lunch law. New Mexico students will now get free meals thanks to a new law just signed by the governor today. The new law requires schools who participate in the federal school lunch and breakfast program to provide free meals to their students. Also, House Bill 7, the Reproductive and Gender Affirming Health Care Act, 
I wanted to ask you specifically about that. What does this bill do? This is one that got a ton of attention, I think, in the early part of the session. Yeah, I mean, ever since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, which was, you know, a while ago already, we've been in the middle of a heated debate here in New Mexico. Um, And I say we as in the people, but also the lawmakers trying to decide what New Mexico should do in response to um, that issue. So the New Mexico governor has taken a pretty clear stance that she's in favor of, you know, making sure that uh, women have access to reproductive health care. House Bill 7 basically makes it, and there's a companion bill as well to this one, but basically what they do is they make it illegal for state offices, state government, state employees to discriminate against people uh, for their reproductive choices, for their gender choices as well. So it's just another kind of clear step that the governor and a lot of her supporters have taken to kind of create protections around this issue and around this community here in New Mexico. You're right, Chris, there was a huge amount of debate over these bills. Um, A lot of the debate on the floors in the roundhouse really centered around morality. Uh, We heard some legislators, particularly some of the Republican legislators, just making it very clear that they disagree morally with these bills and with the issues presented in these bills. They say their constituents disagree and that it goes against the moral fabric of the state. On the other hand, a lot of the supporters, a lot of the Democrats really stood firm, would not kind of uh, adjust or water down the bills and wanted to make sure that these sorts of legal protections are clear in state law. One thing that I know we've covered here on the podcast when we talk about the session and lawmaking in general that I just wanted to briefly mention is that the issue of giving lawmakers and professional staff a salary once again went nowhere. Maybe that'll come up again during another session, but I know it's something that is one of those things that constantly gets brought up. New Mexico is unique where we do not pay our lawmakers a salary like other states do. But it doesn't sound like the governor has signaled any intent to call another session maybe, or what? what's next from your view, Curtis? I think it really could all depend on what she decides, especially for that tax package. So if she decides to sign that as is, then I think it'll all kind of smooth over and we can move on with our lives. Um, if she puts up a fight on that, we could see some more debates, some more news popping up about the legislature. Thank you, Curtis, for answering all of our legislative questions and for covering this 60-day session. Thanks for having me. Now, since we spoke to Curtis, as mentioned earlier, that tax package was signed, but it did have a lot of vetoes in it. The governor saying there were essentially too many expensive tax cuts in the bill too quickly. One of the most notable reactions to the changes to the bill was from Democratic U.S. Senator Martin Heinrich of the state's federal delegation. So again, he's not even in state politics. Heinrich expressed disappointment in a series of tweets. He also mentioned disappointment with another rejection the governor made. She pocket vetoed a Senate bill that would have created a civil rights division in the attorney general's office, something we talked a little bit about here on the podcast just a few weeks back. With a pocket veto, the governor did not give any explanation as to why she rejected that legislation, but the bill essentially would have given the AG a lot of latitude in dealing with child abuse cases and more power to intervene in cases where the Children, Youth, and Families Department is involved. All right, thanks again to Curtis Segarra. Hope you did learn a little bit more about the 
gone in 60 days legislative session that was fast and furious as we discussed. Uh, if you have a story idea or a podcast idea, we always would love to hear it. You can reach out. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com and at chrismckeetv on social media. And I'm gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburkedm on social media. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.